Happy National Crafting Month, everyone! This is Greg, and here are the hot glue and popsicle stick offerings you can listen to in the Popping Colors feed in March 2022. On the flagship Popping Colors podcast, we're picking up the pieces with a conversation about representations of grief in popular culture. I have an Under the Stole interview with David Reynolds, the author of Abe, Abraham Lincoln in His Times, which serves as the inspiration for a new documentary entitled Lincoln's Dilemma. Here, David weave together the history and mythology of the great emancipator. Betsy and I are bedazzled by movies from 30 years ago this month. We discuss the joys and challenges of John Singleton's masterpiece, Boys in the Hood. Finally, Dan Joslin Simitowski is back to discuss baseball and sacraments on a new episode of The Sacred Six. This month, the glitter will be flying when we discuss confirmation and Joe Carter's most famous home run in World Series history. You're listening to the little DIY pod that always colors outside the lines. Thanks for joining us and keep those collars pops. Yeah, I'm David S. Reynolds, and I'm a distinguished professor at the CUNY Graduate Center and the author of the recently published Abe, Abraham Lincoln in His Times, which is the basis of the new Apple TV uh, docuseries called Lincoln's Dilemma. And I'm a, a big fan of Poppy Collars. I hope all of you will, uh, you know, enjoy uh, Lincoln's Dilemma and stick by Popping Collars. I, I'm a one-way motorway. I'm a road to drive away. Follows you back home. I, Welcome to Popping Collars podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture longest running episcopal podcast since the creation of the world <laughs> and hold up breaking Ooh. news da, 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 da. i am reading right now an unsolicited spam email which says congratulations popping collars on being the number 147th ranked spirituality podcast in senegal Yes, Senegal. Senegal. Hold on, don't they mainly speak French in Senegal? Like, is that why we're 147? <laughs> A friend of mine from high school lives in Senegal. Maybe it's her. Oh, that's she funny. downloaded all of our episodes. All yeah, of hi, them, and we're 147. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, thanks, the internet. Learning new things. Wow, <laughs> around the globe. All right, here we go. I am your host. My name is Greg Knight. I am the associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are the lovely and talented voices that you have come to know and love. Betsy Carmody. Betsy, what's up? Oh, Gregory, I am here in Alexandria, Virginia at the Episcopal High School where I serve as head chaplain. We are just slowly army crawling one forearm over the other to get to spring break. It's where <laughs> we are right now. It is the golden shining finish line for every research paper and heartache of every high school student. What an image. The I mean, stomach crawl I just, under the barbed wire. Under the bar, in the mud. Just, 
You can just wow. see bibliography is just strewn behind all the children. It's great. It's great. We'll be fine. Uh, Liz Easton is with us. Hey, Liz. What's hey, on? Greg. Um, I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. It's Lent. I'm Lenting. It's a, it's a Lenty Lent. And um, here we are. I have a weird spiritual discipline with Lent this year that I'll tell my listeners so <laughs> you can keep me accountable. The Liz crew. Yeah, just my just my specific list. We need to come up with people who are specifically fans of Liz. We need to come up with a name. The Liz. Liz crew. I don't like it. We need to come up with something else. Let's think on yeah. it. Yeah. I like the Liz. Um, I'm trying to write a poem a day in Lent. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is that for the Lizzo's? The Liz? The I don't know that you can do that with somebody else's name. Okay. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah, I used to write a lot of poetry, trying to connect to a different discipline, a different thing. And uh, like that. that's that's what I'm doing. So I think it's going to be hard. You sticking with haikus to start? Or it can be anything. A prose ambitious. Poem, haiku. It doesn't need to be a complete draft. It just needs Greg, to be. come on. By the Not end everything's a haiku. <laughs> Free verse, free verse. Liz, the Lizerati. Ooh. Oh, I like it. Lizerati. Lizerati. That recommendation came from Ricardo Avila. <laughs> and that's probably the best thing you'll hear all podcast. Um, <laughs> me. This is Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in beautiful Los Gatos, California. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing well. We're starting to open up at the church more and more and it it's growing pains. It's almost like we're learning to walk again and boy, have we been stumbling. Um, and, um, but there's also a lot of joy and, uh, and excitement. So it's, it's, it's an interesting time and it'll be interesting to see how we get through Lent. We are doing a poem study, uh, a book uh, of poems we're reading together uh, called The Word in the Wilderness by Malcolm Geit, um, which I've never read, but will in Lent. And so Liz will be right with you. I'm sure Malcolm Geit will have nothing on your poems. Awesome. I doubt that's true. I've heard for what it's worth, I've heard from a lot of people that um, reopening is harder than closing was. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Lots to think through. hundred percent. 100%. All right, here we go. Here we go. It's another year and another angle on talking about the ongoing pandemic. So I guess uh, we take a litmus test kind of every March. Like, where are we right now in pandemic culture? Feels like a slog, right? <laughs> kind, of, kind of feels like it continues to be a slog. We're a year removed from sort of being told about a coming light at the end of the tunnel and kind of feels like that light is taking its sweet time getting here. Uh, in many ways, it feels uh, kind of like a treadmill or a running in circles. And whenever you talk about being stuck in cycles, it's easy to start thinking about the realities of grief, the concept of grief. So that's our topic today. Pop culture that takes the subject of grief head on or tangentially or maybe kind of, but not quite. There's no right way to feel grief and there's probably no perfect pop culture representation, but we're going to give it our best shot. So, uh, so let's go to the bag. See to who's going bag. to kick us off. Let's go bag. 
Maybe the bag. Hang on. Do I have all the pieces? You want to go first, Ricardo? Ricardo, have you ever gone first? I'm worried someone's going to take mine, so I kind of want to go. I'm worried about that, too. Don't worry. Oh, it's a B for Betsy, who seems to always go first. Yeah, that's right. It is. All right. So I discovered this during the pandemic. It is a Netflix show, but I have a sneaking suspicion it's some sort of BBC situation somewhere along the way. And it is Ricky Gervais's Afterlife. People think that all those things I miss doing with Lisa, I could just do them anyway, and that might make me feel better. But um, they're missing the point. I don't miss doing things with Lisa. I miss doing nothing with Lisa. Do you know what I mean? Just, just sitting at home. Wouldn't even have to go out or do anything or even talk. You know, just sitting there knowing she was there. Sometimes I'll just look over at her. This has turned out well again. <laughs> this is to me dying first. Yes. <laughs> My wife died earlier this year. Breast cancer. And it broke me. Were you gonna do that, Liz? No, but that but that's a great choice. Yeah. Okay, that's a great choice. So so the show started in 2019, pre-pandemic. And has ended during pandemic in 2022, ended this year, just did the last season a few uh, a few weeks ago. And it is, you know, take it or leave Ricky Gervais. He can be a person you love or hate. He has many incarnations, many lives in a way. But he he stars as a guy named Tony who lives in a small English town. And Tony's wife has died of cancer, his wife, Lisa. And you're literally the double meaning of the, and probably lots of meanings of this name, right? After life, two words. And this idea of like living the life after Lisa's life, after Lisa has left. And Lisa keeps revisiting the show through, he has a laptop that has all the videos, you know, from her phone and from the computer and everything. Uh, of their life together. You know, it seems as though they didn't meet as young, youngish, youngest people, right? They met as maybe slightly older people and found one another. Maybe as a couple, you get the idea that maybe they didn't think there was somebody out there for them. And they find one another. They become this couple. They have this beautiful dog named who's like listed on the IMDb page, Brandy the dog, whose real name is Auntie. But um, but that they they build this life and he works at a newspaper with her brother, which is like a local newspaper. So we're living in life after Lisa and he meets these beautiful people on the way, including like Penelope Wilton, who is from uh, Downton Abbey. um, Who's also mourning the death of her husband. They meet on a bench in the cemetery often and we'll talk. And it's, it's just, it's a, it is a direct, when you said your intro, Greg, I'm like, Oh, no, no. Mine goes directly at grief, mm. speaks directly about it. I think what I, I love the heart of the show and I love that it doesn't rush to match Tony up with somebody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't rush to the grief being over. You know, when I think back to some of the liturgy classes and prayer book classes that we took in seminary and, you know, some of the critiques of the funeral rite in the book of common prayer is around just this rush to resurrection. You know, if we don't have other things built in 
to our mourning process, whether they be cultural or local, that we rush to this, you know, well, you know, there with Jesus and, you know, and then, you know, there's this life after death and, and we kind of go there very quickly and we don't actually dwell in what makes it so hard. And I think this show takes that into account, which is what I really like about it is that it isn't fast and that it takes time, but it is also this eternity of where we are and who we are and the world we live in that will kind of go on beyond us kind of touches a little bit of that at the end. Um, but it's a, it's a real, I've, I was really, I think in pandemic to find this show, it was, it was helpful for me. I think shows like that are so important. I, I was thinking about this earlier today that what is so striking about grief is that it's something that every human being goes through. Yeah. Everybody knows what grieving is and has experienced it. And if you haven't yet, then you will like it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And yet it feels so lonely. Mm-hmm. And a show like that, that just sort of looks at an experience that so many people have had that is rarely represented is such a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, after life or, you know, the concept of that, like, title the playing with that title is funny for a ricky gervais show because ricky gervais is sort of famously not spiritual right and like anti-religion and stuff and so um but i have found like his shows with the exception of maybe the first office have a real sort of human sort of searching kind of vulnerable spot to them absolutely it seems like really different from who he is but his shows always seem to kind of have that. And so yes. I haven't seen this, but it sounds. It it's sounds really because I think at the end, I mean, this is a half hour comedy. It's not wall to wall laughs. And I think it's hard to kind of, you know, is it a dramedy? Is it, I mean, it's not really even that. I mean, dramedies are, I think of Shonda Rhimes shows mm-hmm. like, but it's like, it is really, there is so much humor in this, but just this humanity. And maybe it's just a human show. That's because there is, I mean, even in the, in the midst of us grieving, there is humor that is present and the craving that needs to be normalized too, because people feel so much shame when they're grieving, when they take enjoyment in something or Mm -hmm. have fun or forget for a moment that they're grieving Mm -hmm. like, but that's just part of it. And you watch Tony do that. In the South, we have like funerals and then there's always like food at people's houses. And so you end up like going back to people's houses to like eat casserole and stuff like that. And I remember as a kid, like you would go and people would be like laughing and telling stories and, you know, jokes and stuff. You know, you have this moment where you're like, wait, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be performing the act of like mourning and grieving, not like laughing and sort of acting like life is normal. There's, there's this thing that you're kind of taught, I think early on of like, no, you need to perform the action, but that's not how it works out. So highly, highly recommend after life. So good. Awesome. Nice. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I don't always give in to cancel culture, but it's like, you know, I'm like, is it okay that I'm like, <laughs> Is this okay? Like, I don't know. Sometimes people feel that way about old Ricky. Nothing's okay, Betsy. You just nothing. Everything is a potential. I just watched okay. the Bill Cosby documentary. I don't think anybody's okay. I think they're all. Is that <laughs> on that? What's that on? 
Oh, we need to talk about Cosby. You guys haven't seen this? Uh uh-uh. uh. That's right up oh, my alley. Oh, it's on Where's Showtime. That? Oh, it's on, uh, it's on Showtime. It's um oh. uh, directed by W. Kamal Bell. Oh the, yeah. Uh comic. And it's a yeah. four episode series. And it's just like it's about well, honestly, it's about grief. It's about black people mourning the loss of like oh. what Bill Cosby meant to the culture. And you know, there's this great thing in the first episode where like before i spy there were no black stuntmen in hollywood if you if you had stunts that involved black actors they dressed up white people in blackface (laughs) and had them perform the stunts and bill cosby fought for a black stuntman to be his stuntman for i spy and he was the first person to get a black stuntman uh, in a Hollywood production. Wow. That's ridiculous. And he's a and he's a horrible human being and a rapist. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's so like what it's I, just it's just all of that, like in a four part documentary. It's amazing. What I've learned is that popping collars needs to pay for my showtime membership because yeah. that keeps coming up. It is keeps it coming up. I know. Oh, I'll just keep talking because the bag just chose me. Yeah, bag chose you. I didn't pick Bill Cosby, by the way. We need to talk about Cosby. But it is. I'm afraid that you picked my pick. So I'm. Oh, here we go. I love this I moment of you. tension. Yeah. What is it? I was torn between two things. And OK, I was you got to pick one. You can't name both. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> I was torn between two things. I was prepared to talk about one. And in this moment, just now, I decided to talk about the other one. Oh, this is so, so, so dramatic. OK. So I was going to talk about Pig because Pig is amazing and you should watch it, even though it has Nicolas Cage and people have their ideas of who Nicolas Cage is. But trust me, Nicolas Cage is an amazing actor and Pig is an amazing movie. And you will be okay. doing yourself a service by watching it on Hulu. Okay. But I'm not talking about Pig. I'm talking about The Killing of Two Lovers, which is also on Hulu. Still no idea what we're talking about. Ever heard okay. Of that? okay. What is this? Wow. Uh, the Killing of Two Lovers is a movie that's on Hulu. Is this a um, foreign film? Because it sounds like a foreign film. This is not a foreign film. It does sound like, okay. It's not a foreign film. Okay. Uh, but um, what this film does really well is it subverts your expectations, uh, which is always, which is sort of a Hollywood cliche. It's like, oh, The yeah. Last Jedi subverted my expectations. Or Spider-Man No Way Home subverted my expectations. But no. This movie actually does subvert your expectations because the title is completely misleading. There is no killing of two lovers in this movie. Oh. And that's not what happens. And so you go into False the movie, advertising. Sorry, go <laughs> you go into the movie with this title. And so you think you have the movie figured out. And all the way along, the movie subverts every expectation that you think is going to happen in the movie, starting from the very first shot all the way up until the end. Ultimately, it's about the the dissolution of a marriage and and how a couple can find themselves in a situation where they just cannot connect to each other and they cannot relate. Live my life painted in a corner. You working? Yeah. This early? Yeah, dad. Stop digging. We're doing the right thing. David, I love you. You love me. We're trying to figure this out. By the time I'm losing her, Dad. 
Love is a feeling, and feelings, they move in, they move out. Darling, Mom's cheating on you. to do this because you promised me that we were going to work through this you need to fight you need to fight for us david can you look at me this is my family they're worth it it ultimately follows uh and i don't know any of the character names so i'm just going to keep saying like man woman it follows the man in the relationship. David? Is his name David? David? Maybe. Okay, I don't, David. I don't <laughs> and follows. Nikki? And Nikki, maybe? Okay, I'm sorry, I'm on the IDB already, Greg. Great. Go, I'm with you. So it follows it follows David and Nikki, I guess, but it follows <laughs> David okay. mostly. And and David's on his inability to, to have like conversations with his with his wife because they're separated and you know. And it also, it's hard for him to have conversations with his teenage daughter. And it does like this, um, this kind of thing where these gulfs sort of create, are created in relationships. And it's like this chasm exists and you just can't talk across the chasm. It's just kind of like too wide. And it's really sad. And the other thing that the movie does really well is that nobody's at fault. Like it's totally like you, it, there's no villain here. Mm. It's just, it's just a breakdown of a relationship. That's what I would say. Pig is great too. And pig is kind of more of a direct look at grief. This is kind of more of a sideways look at grief. And so, yeah. So the killing of two lovers. My pick. I've never even heard of that movie. It came out last year, but it's a really small, really small movie. Greg, is it too much to ask? Is it a spoiler to ask? Are the lovers really killed? No, no one is killed in this movie. There's no nobody dies in this movie. Oh, the death of two lovers, death sort of a, as a, an idea. More than I don't know. I, I I think you could chew on the title of this movie for a long time. Okay, trying to figure out what it's in reference to. The opening shot, you'll think you'll know exactly what it's a reference to, and then it's not that. Hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing the thing about grief and the reason that I, I really like this pick is because sometimes grief isn't about death. Like sometimes it's not about the death of a person. Sometimes it's about the death of parts of a person or part of relationships with a person or something like that. There's a scene where David is takes his kids out to the park and he's just trying to connect with them. And, you know, he's shooting like these rockets up into the sky, you know, the things that you light and they shoot the rockets up into the yeah. sky and stuff. His boys are like really getting into it, and like his teenage daughter is like kind of interested, you know. And so it's her turn to like shoot her rocket, and she goes to light it, and it's like a dud, like it doesn't go off. Of and course. so she like, and so she destroys it. She like kicks it, destroys it, and you know, and it just it ends in like this screaming match between this guy and his daughter. And you get that, you get, you really get that feeling of like real parenting. Like there's so much of pop culture parenting that is just so annoying because parenting is really hard and like nobody knows what they're doing and nobody's good at it. It's one of those scenes where it's like, 
it's really hard to like your kid because they're just, you're trying so hard and they're just giving you such static coming back at you. There are so few things that show that thing where it's hard to like somebody that you're supposed to really love. Mm -hmm. And that's like, and that's there. And it's really like well done on the screen. And, And that's a kind of grief that I think we just don't see a lot of. I think that that's so much of what the last two years has been is that those more sort of undefinable griefs and like, obviously 900,000 Americans have died so far from COVID. Lots of people are grieving the death of loved ones. And we're also grieving relationships that have changed work that has changed celebrations that were missed life transitions that weren't marked. Like there's just this like ambient grief. And then people like, we know now that the Kubler-Ross stages of grief are not linear, right? Like they're just sort of spiraling (laughs) around, but you can notice sometimes I notice in myself and in other people and definitely in communities of people like churches, that there are these aspects of the grieving process that are, just sort of part of the collective unconscious of the community, whether that's anger or denial or, you know, all of these things. And when we, we do ourselves a disservice when we link grief and death exclusively. Before you go on, I wanted to say something about the parenting in movies that you say it's never real. I was going to say, as someone who hasn't parented someone, I just assumed that parenting was basically a montage of scenes to like Mumford and Sons or something. Isn't that what it is? Well, that's what my Apple phone would tell me it is, Ricardo, when it makes movies for me of various moments in my life with my child. Then yes, that's what it is. (laughs) All right. The bag. Bag, bag, bag. Like it always does. It's chosen Liz, hasn't it? His chosen Liz. It is. And Ricardo's less again. Hey, yeah. Ricardo, for the end. <laughs> He's deep. <laughs> I'm into it. So my choice kind of sounds a lot like Betsy's in the sense that it's a 30-minute comedy, like tender comedy, I guess, like real okay. life. Like, again, dramedy is not the It's not right. Marks, yeah. But a snapshot of life that includes comedy and real other feelings. Um, and that show is on HBO Max and it's called Somebody Somewhere. Have you seen Ooh, I haven't started watching it yet. It's on my watch list. It's, I, I watched I the trailer, her. but I didn't go, I didn't go it's into very it. Very sweet. I think that um I don't know how long this season is, and I know it's been picked up for a second season. So the the premise is this that uh, a woman named Sam, who's played wonderfully by Bridget Everett. She's so amazing. So amazing. um, Goes back to her small hometown in Kansas to help care for her sister while she dies. And then the show picks up six months after her sister has died. So it's in that really liminal, like complicated grieving time after death has happened. And while you're still, you know, walking through the trauma of caregiving and loss and also like, kind of, where am I? And she is in the small town that she grew up in and sort of doesn't have a great network of friends and doesn't have a sense of identity and really has been through this big um, life event. And she meets up with a friend of hers. This is the part of the show that I love 
Um, she's really grieving. She's kind of a mess. At one point she breaks down at her blank, full blank job. Um, <laughs> she just breaks down like you do when you're grieving, like she's just crying for no reason. It leaves the workplace and she's followed by this guy that she works with that she doesn't recognize as a guy that she went to high school with. And he immediately is like, you know, we're going to be friends basically. And part of his deal is that um, he is uh grew also grew up in that town he's gay he's out he's a delightful character joel who's played by jeff hiller and um he's super involved in his church so he's a you know a christian and one of the things that he does is he sort of convinced the pastor to let him host what's called choir practice at night once a week in the church and it's a gathering place for all of the queer and sort of marginalized and outcast people in town to come and, and sing and have drinks and talk and hang out um, in this church after hours. So he invites her because they were in the show choir together to come and participate. And through that community, she begins to sort of find her footing in her grief in her town. One of my favorite singers in the entire world is here with us tonight. Sampire, come on up here. No. Sampire, 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 Sampire. The public demands it. I'll sing the Kate Bush part. I haven't done this for a long time. In this proud land we grew up strong we were wanted all along I was taught to fight, taught to win I never thought I could fail No fight left, or so it seems I'm a man whose dreams have all deserted I changed my face, I changed my name But no one wants you when you lose Don't give up, cause you have friends. Don't give up, you're not beaten yet. Don't give up, cause somewhere there's a place where we And one of the reviews that I read was like, it's not a rom-com. It's like a friend rom-com, like a friend com, from-com. That there's this really um, sort of magical and beautiful thing of watching these two people become friends with each other as grown-ups, like develop an adult friendship. You don't often see on television the stories of out gay people, certainly not out gay Christians, who rather than escaping their small town, stay in their small town. 
and because, and make a life there in my ministry. Like those are stories I see every day, you know, ministering in a state full of small towns and churches. One of the things I love about it is that you sort of discover that in the midst of this grief, which again, feels so isolating that when you have community around you, whatever that community looks like, you're able to um, kind of some things start to make sense. You know, nothing makes sense when you're in the throes of grief, but when you have a supportive community and people to lean on and places to have fun and all of that, you're able to sort of begin to come back to yourself. So that is my recommendation. Somebody somewhere on HBO Max. I highly recommend it. It's just a quiet, sweet show. Nice. Uh, that's good, Liz. I, I was about to watch it, and then I started watching Pam and Tommy instead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Greg. I, I mean. Whoa. A little different. A little different. I keep getting drawn away by the Gilded Age, which I need to just put that down for a second. Good wreck. Go Bridget Everett all day. I'm a stan. I love her. Great. All right. Here we go. Oh man! Look at him in his well lit. I don't even have to pull. Right now. He just looks so healthy and. Oh, R. Oh. 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 Uh, oh. What? It's your uh, turn. So, you know, all of these chips. So we have like these little. I don't know, like little wooden discs. They're all the same. Like I can't reach into the bag and feel any difference. So I don't know why the bag always chooses you last, Ricardo. No. I don't know either, Greg, but this time I thank the bag. Maybe it's uh, the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering why a statistician in Senegal has not really gotten on top of this and is doing crunching some numbers <laughs> with all the bag episodes. Screw you, wheel. We're not including the wheel episodes. <laughs> all the bag episodes. <laughs> like, what is the statistical like breakdown of Ricardo going yeah. Okay, well, here goes. Um, so... Greg, I just, what I really think is you're actually being really nice when you hear someone say, oh God, I hope I go last. Because I, we don't actually see you pick the names out of the bag. Sort of a pretend <laughs> shake at the beginning. And then suddenly the little circles appear. So that's all right. I, Thank you. I can confirm that it is random. I promise. First of all, I want to apologize to my Popping Collars co-hosts because as some of you were talking, I was desperately looking online to try to find like best songs about grief or best movies about grief. And um, <laughs> I don't know who makes these lists, but they're awful. Can I just tell you, uh, I'm going <laughs> to, to those of you who are listening and can't see, I'm sharing my screen. Oh, here we go. That's not what I wanted to show you. Uh, no, that's not what I wanted to show you. That's not that song. You. Look at this. 50 Greatest Songs About Grief. I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight by Cutting Whoa! Crew. <laughs> Cutting Crew. I don't think, I think that that's about a little death, not about death. I don't I think that's really going there. Yeah. It must, must have been something. I shot the sheriff? I don't even what? know if I care about the sheriff. How is that about grief, you know? Um, and then there was another. Oh, Wait, another one. no, no, no! You're missing the key point there. I shot the sheriff by Eric Clapton. Yeah, that is tragic. <laughs> Come on, man. That's problematic, right there. That is. You know, I have to say, um, well, I shot the sheriff. It says is a song that explores the battle of life and death between a sheriff and a citizen. The number one, by the way, is Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Oh, that is a no. Good. That is an Eric Clapton song, and so. it's a good song about grief. 
It is. About his, it it's is. about his kid, right? About his yeah. son. Yes. Yeah. So sad. Out of the window. Yes. Tears in Heaven is a reminder that it's, that it's okay to cry and grieve the loss of a loved one. That kind of ruins it in the description. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. And, um, and then I won't even go into the movies because they were pretty bad too. So, you know, I don't technically have a good choice. You all have these great choices, some of which are obscure. And you know me, I'm sort of the least pop culture savvy of the four of us. And I think I barely heard of Afterlife by Ricky Gervais. Uh, but um, you're the most musically savvy. You are. You're so yeah. You're the most like literally, literarily classic of all of us. I mean, you are. I mean, we keep you around for a lot of reasons, Ricardo. <laughs> And you keep us around for other reasons and together we make a good whole. That's right. You know, I will say um, I am reading Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy right yeah, now. You are. And um, we had some people over and the book was on the table and this woman, she said, you're reading this. And I said, yeah. And she said, you're so intellectual. And I said, I am. Oh. <laughs> it felt really good. Oh my gosh! Well, it's, and I'm going to say some of the literature you like. There's how is grief treated in in those kind of books? Oh, that you, I mean, yeah. is it just a factor of life? Do they dwell on it? I mean, that's an I'm interested. Yeah, in Anna Karenina is about grief. Oh, grief is well, well yeah. Point. And I was going to say the death of Ivan Illich. If you wanted to go, you know, more all the Russians, all, all of them. Russians. Yeah, but I I thought you were going to take this time to talk about Mrs. Havisham. So <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Oh, wow, that would have been a good one. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who haven't read it yet, then great expectations. Um, no, you know, so by the way, Anna Karenina is actually really amazing. It's it, There's not a lot of plot. There's enough, but it's, he's so, it's hard to explain, but he's so brilliant about people's emotions and their relationships. It's so modern. It's it's stunning. I just have to tell you, I, I'm only 180 pages into the 800 page thing, but um, I, I seriously recommend it. And it's not that hard to read, but it takes a commitment. Um, so that's not what I want to talk about. I have five choices. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. Man. Things just okay. escalated quickly. <laughs> Things are now out of hand. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I want to say I am a little bummed because grief is one of my kind of favorite things, uh, certainly in songs and definitely in books. I sort of I think the depressing stuff really moves me. I thought, you know, what I can do is just talk about times I have felt grief when watching a movie. And so I came up with <laughs> just two examples. I'll give you two examples. And one is, um, and it's one of those things, actually, no, three examples. One is uh, The Normal Heart, uh, the HBO movie that came out in 2014, starring my future second husband, Mark Ruffalo. Mm. Uh, I can't wait. Will you invite me to that one? I was going to say, when are you, when, where do I, like, is this after I marry Mark Ruffalo? Or are you telling me that my marriage to Mark Ruffalo won't work out? Wait, or oh, is... Oh. Are we Uh-oh. saying Ruf- Ruffalo? Or it could be Ruffalo. Ruffalo. <laughs> oh, Ruffalo. <laughs> R- I mean, Ricardo and I call it. Ricardo and I call it Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I just call him Ruff. I'm a parish priest, and so in some ways, I see maybe more grief than the average person because I deal with people who come to me. And at a certain point, I almost feel like there's there's enough tragedy and sorrow that comes at you in your life, even if it's not the super closest person in your life, that 
you can't meet it every time with that high level of like, oh my God, that's awful. You Mm -hmm. sort of have to mute your grief to kind of engage. I know you guys probably go through this too. Well, and as a priest, you have a different role and it doesn't mean not being yourself, but I found in parish ministry when it came to really tragic news or events at the bedside, that part of the priest's gift is the unflappability refusal to look away Mm -hmm. from a tragic thing. And that doesn't mean crying every time, or it doesn't mean, oh, you know, like you just said, oh my gosh, but it's that steady kind of calm in the storm. There's nothing that you can do that will make me turn away from your sadness. Right. And some people may experience that as low energy or something, but that's not what it is. It's a different sort of categorical role in the community that I, that is really important. They also is called the death expert. Mm. That's kind of how, oh, oh, this is a something. Oh, let's put it over here. You've got it. And Yeah. yeah. When you deal with it all the time, there's a different way of kind of figuring out why, like what would make me cry at this point, you know? And it's not, I do not see that as a deadening. I see that as an engagement. So I was thinking about, I thought of three movies that kind of made me feel grief. And so I'll just touch on them briefly. Uh, One is The Normal Heart, the 2014 HBO movie starring Mark Ruffalo. I guess I can't say my future husband because then I, what would my husband say to that? But um, my future good friend, Mark Ruffalo, and (laughs) he plays, plays, um, Larry Kramer. Thank you. Good job. Larry. So he plays basically the Larry Kramer character. And this is in the early days of AIDS in in New York City. He was a real jerk, but he just yelled and screamed and demanded that people listen to the fact that these gay men were dying. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who always wanted to love another little boy. One day he finally found that love and it was wonderful. I'm supposed to use gloves. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to not kiss him. I'm not supposed to be only 45 years old and taking care of a 35-year-old young man who's 100 years old and dying. Emma calls it a seesaw. He's fine. He gets sick. He gets better. He gets sicker. He's afraid I'll leave him. I told him I wouldn't leave him. That I never for one second would think of leaving him. But he doesn't believe me. It's hard to believe in much these days, but we must never stop believing in each other. It's a really good movie. It's um, the at the end, you know, some of the main characters die. And at the end, there's Mark Ruffalo kind of walking off. And the song that plays is The Only Living Boy in New York by mm. Simon and Garfunkel. And that's just like an amazing use of a song. You know, mm. after all those people have died, The Only Living Boy in New York which leads me to the second movie, same idea. So I guess this gets to me. It's a movie from maybe Argentina, but Latin America for sure. It's called Undertow. I don't know who the directors are, but it's basically 
a man who's married to his wife, but he has a, an affair with a man who's in town who's sort of an artist type. And the artist guy dies. He gets kind of pulled out to sea. And his ghost is kind of haunting the other guy because he wants his body found to be buried. And so the scene that got me is they find the body and they want to have a burial for it. I believe it's near the end, but none of the townspeople will help or participate in it because it was escaping and it all comes out and the wife is angry and throws him out of the house. And so he doesn't have a way to grieve with anyone and he's got this dead body. And then out of nowhere, I think it's this little girl comes and she joins the little procession or something. And then other people in the town come. And it just moved me so much, you know, that somehow they found a way to kind of embrace it. They may not have agreed with what happened or who he is, but they see his pain. And so they come out and they grieve with him. I saw it in a movie theater and I started bawling. I was with William. I don't know if you've ever done this. You're just like, and I'm just like, I did that at the Descendants. You know, that one with, uh, George Clooney. Yes. Yeah, and I was there on a date and it was like, I, I would have, I was crying so hard. I would have left. It was with a pretty serious boyfriend. So it wasn't that weird, but I would, I would have left. I mean, I was crying so hard. I thought I was going to barf, which is also a movie grief. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was uh, that movie actually did make the top 50 uh, movies about grief list. Oh, thank but, you. Website no. page. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess we probably all have certain things that might trigger the grief in us. And I, I, I'd like to sort of propose that we don't all grieve about the same things. And they, it probably has something to do with a way we feel um, unfulfilled or feel less than. And then the third and final one that I also just bawled at the end of the movie was Hotel Rwanda. Remember oh. that movie? Yeah. I actually had to be escorted, not let out by some friends uh, at the movie theater. And so to portray grief well in art is an art. The other morning, I don't know about you, but I think in seminary, we learned to do like the epistle and the Old Testament at morning prayer and the gospel at evening prayer. Is that right? I don't know. I read the gospel at morning prayer. Okay. Sue me. It was um, the story of Lazarus. And I, I was just reminded of there's something about the way that story is told in John's gospel that is so, I mean, it's this perfect crystallization of Christ's humanity and divinity, but the ways that Mary and Martha respond to him, how he weeps, the community gathering, like um, just a reminder that like art, you know, our scripture tells these stories too. It's so such a common aspect of human life from the very beginning and he cries and it's that and that translation right the 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 greek is there he was disturbed in his gut like Mm -hmm. it is that translation of like he's so disturbed that his stomach hurts and i think when we think about being upset and grief and how much grief isn't just about coming liquid coming out of our face that we experience grief in all different parts of our body right outro yeah, I got it right here. Oh, the pillow fell. <laughs> Let's just go straight to the outro. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And, oh, you can email us. That's something that people always ask. Like, how do I get in touch with you? You're not on Facebook. You email us. You go to poppingcollarspodcast at gmail.com. 
you send us an email. It's great. Finally, you can find our show on EpiscopalCafe.com. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news, needs, and beyond. And with that, that is Popping Collars for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Ricardo. We'll see you next time. And... Keep those collars popped. That was perfect. It's time like these learn to live again. It's times like these you give and give again. It's times like these you learn to love again. It's times like these, time, time again.